when I first met Akram, you know, as a young artist, I I just retired from dancing, and I um and I and I moved to London. I was in Belgium before with my wife and my my three month year old daughter, and I met Akram, who literally just graduated from school, and he was telling me this beautiful idea for a project at how we would work together. But you know, as a young artist, he did not have resources. So as you said, my job is to find resources, and the only resource I had was my little flat that I owned, which I then sold and paid for Akram's production. Because I, I believe that's what was necessary to take it to the next level. Hello, thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, I would like to start by asking you to please introduce yourself. I am so grateful that you are here with us. Um, I really, it's, it's not only a pleasure, but it's also a privilege because you are someone that I, I very much admire the work that you, that you do and, um, and, and and everything that carries you know like the the meaning of the work like there's so many people that you support and you uh, inspire and encourage so in a moment everyone is going to know who i'm talking about and um, and with whom i'm talking but um but yeah please introduce yourself yes good morning anna thank you so much for your very kind words i have to say um and it's a pleasure to be here with you this morning so to, to unveil the mystery, uh, I'm Farooq Chowdhury. I'm a, I'm a, what you may call an international dance producer. I'm really not sure exactly what that means, but I'm the executive producer for the Akram Khan Company and the co-founder. I found it with Akram Khan back in uh, uh, 1999. We met and the company was founded in 2000. I'm also the artistic director of a company called China House Arts. I'm also a director of my own company called Sky Blue Productions that supports the work of emerging artists. Um, and I just so happen to have the privilege of also being a, a Tate trustee um, and amongst many other things. Yeah. So really my, my, my main work is in the field of dance and uh, international collaboration across cultures, across disciplines. And I was a former dancer myself. I danced from professionally from the age of 25 to 39 and then retrained and did an arts management degree. And then so be, I ended up following my passion even further and being in dance for another 20 years. Wow. Wow. Um, yes, definitely a privilege to be having this conversation with you. Thank you so much. Um, I think that the first part that I would like to do um, in our conversation is to inquire about your early years. And by early years, I mean years of formation. Um, starting from when you were an adolescent and then into your um, young adulthood. Uh, what was it that you, like, you as a boy wanted at the time? Where, what, what were the things that inspired you, the, your philosophical ideas, the things that were hard for you, um, struggles, challenges? And I'm also really interested to know what do you think that that boy the young boy um teaches you today 
Wow, it's such a good question. And perhaps I have to go back before adolescence to really answer this question. Um, my upbringing was far from conventional. Um, I, I was born in Pakistan and my parents came over to uh, England in 1963. We moved to London in a period of time when, uh, you know, being a person of color, being from another race was, you know, a really difficult experience. We were not accepted. We were not allowed to fit in. Um, and it had a very uh, devastating and very damaging effect on our family life, you know. So those very first years from the age of, say, 3 to 10 or 11 or 12 was all about trying to survive, actually, and be accepted, you know. And, and, and at the same time, you know, uh, seeing my parents struggle to, to have a sense of self-worth when everyone around them was telling them that they were useless and they didn't belong. And the same goes to me as, as a young kid. So this began to have a, a, a really strong impact on my mindset. You know, I began to realize, actually, I don't fit in. I don't belong. And, 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 and that was a way that began to really strongly create a sense of how do I overcome this obstacle? How do I find a way to belong, but also belong on my own terms? And I would argue that's actually very much in the nature, at the very core of my work even today. Um, after this period of up to 11, then I, 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 I became a troublemaker. I joined local criminal gangs. I didn't go to school anymore by the age of 12. I was in, involved in all kinds of petty crime in the area that I lived. Um, and it became very difficult for my family life uh, and my parents to look after me. And I mean, now great, but then sadly, I was put into care, into social services by the age of 14. Um, and I was signed a, an amazing social worker who sent me to a school called Pepper Harrow, which was then described as um, a therapeutic community for disturbed adolescents. Um, and I went there at the age of 15 and a pretty troubled, pretty damaged, pretty lost young man, you know. But, you know, I, as a young kid, actually, when I was at home, I, I read a great deal. I was, you know, I read books. I read comic books. I lived in this world of myth, myth and fantasy and heroism. And, and all these people seemed to really find me up. So, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I wanted to be like that. Maybe I wanted to be a hero. Maybe I wanted to be part of that mythical fantasy storytelling world. And so when I got to Pepper Harrow at the age of 15, I discovered this incredible environment, sense of community where the least important thing was to study in, in the conventional academic way, but was to play, to find out what it meant to discover your own personal creativity in, in a, an informal process, informal ways with your friends and colleagues and community members. So I discovered play at a very late point in my life, which was probably denying me as a kid. Um, and all these things really start to kind of, you can imagine these are ingredients you don't really understand and, and you're kind of moving around in some kind of beautiful chaos as I'm trying to form who I am, you know. Um, and, and actually, and someone just recently asked me, said, you know, I've actually made very uh, a lot out of my life out of very little. You know, when I was growing up, I didn't have any love or security. And I don't mean that, you know, just, you know like tragically. It was not easy with, mm. with my family life. Wow. When... When was it that you started thinking of dance as a way of, um, well, I, I'm guessing as a way of um, dealing with what you were uh, going through at the time? Like, do you start at dance as a child or as an adolescent or then later on in your, in your adulthood? 
you know, I think dance was my savior, you know, and, and I, I discovered dance actually in a very small way. First, my sister was a couple of years younger than me. She started doing Indian classical Kathak dance at the age of 13 or 14. And I used to watch her performances. At that point, I just loved clubbing, going to clubs, but I actually hadn't taken any dance classes. And I was watching her and I was thinking about, wow, this is incredible. I, but I always thought, How, where could this go? You know, so something was already playing in my mind, which is actually the producer mind today, you know. Um, and then, you know, and but the real turning point was um, I used to have a great friend called Pete Allen. And while I was at this place called Pepper Harrow, every Saturday evening, we would make up these kind of uh, funky soul dances to this radio, this radio station called Soul Spectrum. And one of the teachers called Graham Benjamin came in and he said, hey, you guys really like dancing. Would you like to see something completely different? And, and I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, there's a theatre in London called Sadler's Wells. And they have this thing called contemporary dance. Uh, and I think you might like it. So, you know, you know, being a, quite a curious guy, I said, yeah, let's go. So we organised a trip. I think I was about 17 at the time. Um, and I went to the theatre and I sat at, we sat at the back because, you know, so we had, could only afford the cheapest seats. And this dancer came on, you know, on stage, a, a guy called Namron, you know, this tall black dancer who was powerful, poetic, sensitive, graceful, vulnerable, athletic at one moment, you know, and I completely fell in love with this. And I, as soon as I came out of the theater, I went back to Graham. I said, please, 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 I want to learn this, this thing called contemporary dance. But unfortunately I was in a place called, you know, Pepper Harrow was out in the country and there was no access to classes. So I just kept going year, you know, every season when this uh, London Contemporary Dance Theatre were on at Sadler's Wells until I got to university at the age of 21. And I took my very first dance class there. And as soon as I walked out, I went to the dean and I said, look, look, I'm quitting my English degree. I'm going to be a dancer. I found the thing I'm going to do for the, the rest of my life. You know, and so that's how I discovered it. It was, it was, it was really, it, it was almost like a, you know, dance for me meant I had a voice. I had an identity that was beyond words, beyond culture, beyond definition. You know, there's something beautiful about dance where you lose yourself and you find yourself exactly at the same moment, you know? So, and, and, and it gave me a voice. It made me, it, it made me feel expanded as a human being and it made me feel alive. And I think that was the real, uh, what dance gave me as well as just the beauty of, of what the body's capable of doing. So did that seem uh, natural to you? You know, I think it did in a way, but I did, you know, as I came into it late, my body, you know, for something, I mean, there's no way I could have done classical ballet at 21, all right? You have to do it at the age of five, you know? And so I didn't have the, you know, my body was a struggle, you know? It was, you know, I could move, you know, but I, I was, I was, my body wasn't like for the age of five, I wasn't mobile in the same way, elastic as like a, you know, as a young teenager. So I had to work incredibly hard. I, I got into the London Contemporary Dance School at the age of 23, in fact. And I studied there for four years and, and, and I worked myself to death, you know, like, just to kind of find the instrument that could be expressive. But I also recognize that actually it's not just the body, you know, it's the spirit that, you know, you find through your limitations ways to tell stories, you know. And, and I think because I was quite mature and because I've, I've learned to deal with uh, making a lot out of a little, 
I could deal with my limitations and make them valuable and meaningful for me. And so when I when I uh, graduated in, in, in 1986, I was very fortunate that I continued dancing almost nonstop from 1986 to the moment I retired in 1999. So, yeah, it's kind of it didn't come natural, but I, you know, it took to be honest, it took me 10 years to be a dancer. I remember the age of 32. I said, oh, my God, I'm no longer thinking when I'm dancing. Oh, wow. And that's when you know you're a dancer, where the, the mind switches off and the body uses its own personal intelligence to speak. That's so beautiful. So you think that the with little I do a lot is kind of like has carried you through the years as a philosophical or core value for you? I hundred percent, you know, and the fact is that not to overcomplicate through that mindset, you tend then not to overcomplicate, you know, obstacles or challenges because, you know, a lot of the time, and I see it again and again around me and I, and I even experienced myself is that when you confront something first, that may be something that you fear or maybe something that you desire, or maybe that something feels impossible that the mind has a, has a habit of overcomplicating your decision-making process, right? So you want to do something and something gets in your head and it either it's your, you know, it's trying to put you off or it's making it seem almost, you know, you know, unobtainable. But I think this little bit lot says, well, there's a simple way to approach this. I just, I, I, you know, there's a way I just take one step at a time and I enter it in almost a very, with a simple and a very uncomplicated mindset. And I think this has allowed me to do the most difficult things. I think if your mind is difficult and you're going to do something difficult, it's almost like it's impossible, you know? You have to find the, 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 the hook, the meaning in it that's really, that allows you to enter the challenge without making it feel like overwhelming. I see, I see, I see, I see. And, these, and, and well, that final question that about what does that boy teaches you today? So what, 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 what is it? Like reflecting back, back, looking back. Yeah, yeah. You have you know, that in front what, of you. What, what is he saying? He's saying, well done. <laughs> it's like, you, know, you, you did good for some, for not having a lot. Now, look, um, you know, I think that boy's taught me that, you know, when I'm vulnerable, I should ask for help and allow myself to be helped. Uh, I, I think that boy has told me that, you know, that, you know, you are valuable, even though you felt at the time you were not, you know. Um, I think that boy said, you know, well done, your curiosity has really gone a long way. Um, and, 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 be, and your consistency, choosing things and almost obsessively staying attached to them and loyal to them has helped you to find uh, value and meaning and riches, cultural, artistic, I don't mean financial riches in my life, you know. So, um, and the fact is that boy is still the same boy today. I, I think keeping a sense of wonder in, in my life has kept me uh, really driving forward and expanding and searching and playful. Um, I don't want to be an adult. You know, I think adult is overrated. You know, I think <laughs> being like young and childlike and, and letting a sense of wonder uh always kind of excite you is a really beautiful place to be yeah so um so that boy really much very you know he's not lost he still exists in me in in, in a really very strong way his energy is still there hmm. thank you so much for giving us this um 
uh, I don't know, time travel to your to your life, and and I think that this is one of the things that that I find not only the most ins inspiring when when you know like looking in my own life and when it comes into into looking at what inspires me and what also teaches me about how to live is it's basically role models is like at times i have no idea i have no clue and then it's like looking looking around you know like talking having conversations with people that that have walked the 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 path in in very uh, inspiring ways um and and yeah role models for me uh, are are crucial to to the development not only of, of the person but also of the work so thank you and this takes me to the second part of this conversation which is about cultural entrepreneurship um first of all could you for for some of us that don't know what that means uh, or what that entitled entitled yeah could you tell us a little bit about not only about what cultural entrepreneurship is but how 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 does that work in your life because you're a cultural entrepreneur so um what how what is what does that mean for you well you know it's it's about a person uh, um, a concept and an artist um uh, an idea and then how do you make that idea become the very best version of itself? You know, how do you take it, that idea and nurture it and nourish it and, and, and be led by it and take the necessary risks that are involved in allowing an idea to become beyond your expectation or an artist achieve uh, work beyond their expectations? So that's the entrepreneurialism that, that's in the culture part, you know, that it, and I think if you compare cultural entrepreneurs to business entrepreneurs, I think what matters really excites them the most is the element of risk, but also the process that's involved in making something become better, right? So, and I think that's very much uh, my way of thinking. I think it started with me. You know, I was my own project, you know, in a way that I had to make myself better, you know, and do what it takes and what's necessary and, and take enormous, enormous risks and 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 leap into the into the dark you know trusting my instincts trusting my intellect but also in a way if i go back to my early life that kind of street savviness that you that you get that is yours that is your system your value system that allows you to achieve something i think entrepreneurs find a system that suits them they're not that they're, they're outliers they they find a way that that works according to their own needs, expectations, dreams, passions, etc. They're not driven by a very system uh, approach of system and structure and a very organized and structural sense, if you know what I'm saying. So it means, yeah, it really is about. So my job as a, a dance producer in a culture is to make sure that the artists I work for get the make their very best work every single time. And I have to conjure up the circumstances that allow them to do this. So it's a bit of magic. It's a bit of, you know, it's a bit of um, uh, thinking outside of a box. It's thinking, it's taking risks when, and, and understanding not every decision you make will make sense, you know, and trusting that, you know, you don't need the answers, you just need the questions, you know. And, and so really, in a, in, in, in a very simplistic way, that's what a cultural entrepreneur is, you know. And, and I think, again, I don't think they are uh, uh, turned on by the outcome as much as they are turned on by the process. You know, that journey, wow, 
that's that's the fun stuff mm. you know mm. and um what do you think are the key attributes to because as a dance producer um you work with uh, to to give to the artist to the dancer to the to the director the all the facilities and resources to help create the work right and um so we know that that a big part of um creating the work is the reaching to the audience the that public engagement so important like um like so we are we are now we are talking about how to engage with these audiences in and we are also talking about business business models so how do you like i'm i'm, I'm curious to know this like how do you go about you have a production um And and this is going back to the early years because I know that now in in your career you're in another level where where you know like you have the 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 trust of these big institutions that trust you with big amounts of money big resources like um uh, because you have a track record but let's go back to to those uh, early years of formation like as a as a young cultural entrepreneur as a as a yeah as a younger a version of yourself like how do you deal with the not knowing with not with okay yeah i want to do this i know that i have to create innovative business models but i don't have the experience and i have no clue how to do this. i i think look you know i think you have to like all these things and it's kind of an old cliche you have to work incredibly hard right <laughs> and you have to and, and you have to believe that the you know this incredible sense of persistence and determination and And, and curiosity, because I remember in the beginning when I was working with Akma, I just met everyone. I wanted to know everything about everybody. I need. I wanted to know about how they succeeded. I, I wanted to know what where they failed. I wanted to know. I wanted to know everything about the industry. And I, I work in an industry where over for over 40 years now, so I'm very understand its nuances and stuff. But I also wanted to know where the people uh, succeed and where the people failed. And that was really important for me because it was allowing me. Almost insights and knowledge, not necessarily that I would, you know, imitate or, or, but I would take ideas from people constantly, like a magpie. I would take them and I would absorb them into my own spirit and 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 uh, and sense of vision, you know. So it, it 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 was almost like a naivety and a fearlessness that comes from not knowing, you know. But also a sense of determination and persistence that you know you just don't give up. I mean, when I first met Akram, you know, as a young artist, I I just retired from dancing and I um and I and I moved to London. I was in Belgium before with my wife and my my three month year old daughter, and I met Akram who literally just graduated from school and he was telling me this beautiful idea for a project at how we would work together. But you know, as a young artist, he did not have resources. So as you said, my job is to find resources, and the only resource I had was my little flat that I owned, which I then sold and paid for Akram's production. Because I, I believe that's what was necessary to take it to the next level. So those things, that level of risk, that level of determination to do whatever it takes to make things happen is what drove me very much in an early way. Now I'm much more measured and I'm much more thoughtful and I had the blessing of incredibly intelligent people around me. Because that's one thing I learned is that you've got to surround yourself with people far cleverer than yourself, you know, and, and listen to them. Don't tell them what to do. And that took me a few years to learn that as I, as I became more mature as a dance producer. But it was this kind of naivety and, and the fearlessness and thinking, 
wow, well, no one knows us, so we can try everything. And I think it's really important to, as you're in the formation years, some important things are happening to me as a producer, but also to an artist. They're looking for their language. They're looking for their voice. They're looking to shape identity. And this requires a very honest, introspective, very uh, uh, high sense of self-awareness to unearth these qualities. Now, you know, yes, we're making work for audiences, but in, in the particular field that I work, which is the more the, the subsidized and experimental side, you don't want to think about the audience too much later, you know, because the early years is about your language, finding your language and knowing that along the way that you will stumble, you'll make mistakes as you seek it and, and, and trusting that even if you fail, that's only going to take you to a better place. Wow. Thank you so much for this insight. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. Um, and I and this takes me to the final part of this exploration with you um, in regards to cultural, cultural entrepreneurship and also about the work that we are creating um, as artists, as a society together, organization artists, entrepreneurs, scientists, all of us together. Like from your perspective, from, from all these years of um, experience and insights and, um, and, and reflection and looking at what's happening today, um, all of it, the good, the bad, the, the gray, um, all of it. Um, in, in, in terms of, um, in regards to the subject of cultural entrepreneurship, can you describe what type of work in this field you would like to see more of here in the UK? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, my life has been very dedicated to, to, you know, the stories from the margin, you know, from the underrepresented communities, the people, the Asian work, particularly South Asian, East Asian. And, 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 and I think there, there, you know, these, there are oceans of story from that part of the world as there are in South America and Africa. And I feel like what really, uh, uh, I'm, I feel needs to change is the, dom the sense of the dominant Western canon, the, the sense of the dominant Western uh, aesthetic and narrative, which has been kind of, you know, and that is considered to be the, you know, the sense of quality and high art or, you know, the very most innovation happens in the world when that's not true, you know. And so what I would like to see and what I spend a lot of my time working with is artists who are working, you know, navigating between different worlds, And, and artists who are particularly take their inspiration from, you know, Asia uh, uh, and, and, and some artists from Africa. And I want those stories to become part of our everyday canon. I want them to be valued and experienced and, and also to people to recognize, actually, there's not a lot of difference when it comes to human themes. If, you know, when you look at it through the lens of another culture, the, the difference is the fascination point but when you dive into it you discover the commonality the sense of belonging that we all share in all these practices so i i feel like i and we're talking a lot about representation and equality and the different voice and this is very much what i feel needs to happen and i'm very excited i think it's already happening but there's a lot of work to be done and it's going to require a great deal of courage and also painful transition because you know we cannot make difficult changes overnight, it's, it's impossible. You can't wake up in the morning and change. You know, you can't change as a person, you can't change as a society, you can't, you, we need to go through a painful transition. And it's a bit like, you know, that kind of sense of history and memory being discarded for a new version of history, a new memory that embraces a much wider worldview. Mm. And 
how could people help you? Like everyone that is listening here and now and in the future, like let's say, yeah, you know, people people are really excited. They they are feeling really inspired, and 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 they want to be a part of this. How could they? How could they help you? How could they help your mission? Um, directly, indirectly. Yeah. Look, you know, I, I, I'm a big believer. You save the world one person at a time, right? You know, you look at the person next to you, and you do, and you do something good. And I think people, we all have to take individual responsibility for these things. That already helps. You know, the, you know, we to become the collective, we also have the strength as the one. You know, and um, and I think people's commitment to that, the recognition and and the self awareness to know that that there are really beautiful stories elsewhere and to and to be curious enough to embrace them and and you know i i'm lucky that i i and i'm privileged that i get to work with people who are really supporting that vision that i'm working with that i'm committed to it's a vision that's going to take me at least another 25 years if i'm lucky to <laughs> to see bring about in a, in a different way but uh yeah i just feel like people and they are you know People have to just listen, listen, you know, and understand the power of listening. You know, listening is a lifetime of free education. You know, so we, we have to commit ourselves to this, to this new ways. And we have to understand, we have to try our best to empty ourselves and suspend some of our old beliefs to accept new ways of seeing things and doing things um, and collaborating with other people. Um, and, and, and I think people can help by looking out for the the unfamiliar and trusting that they will find something familiar in it over time and with patience thank you so much farouk i've i've been one i've been having such a uh you know for, in my own personal journey i am myself asking myself so many questions so many questions about now about the future um, self-assessment about what I've done, how I've done things. And, and just as you were saying, having conversations, wanting to know how, how like people that, that we admire their work, we, we admire their work ethics, you know, all of that, like to hear from them. So thank you because you have definitely helped me today. And I'm sure that for everyone listening to this, um, not only inspiration, but also like, on, the, on a practical level, um, like you gave us a lot to think about, about how to work, about how to, um, to, to, so yeah, like key attributes about, you know, like for example, to generate um, a innovative business models, to, to, to create work and all of that. You mentioned about working hard, you mentioned about, you know, like going out there and talking to people, like getting to know how people succeeded, how people failed, getting to really, really understand and, and, and explore and, and, and risk and, and all of that. It's just all this like really practical, um, uh, like, yeah, thank Practical you. And at the, sorry? Yeah, no, I, that's very well, beautiful summary, Anna. Can I just add one last thing to that list? Of, is that is really don't look for the answers. Don't look for, don't be obsessed with the outcome and the objective and the answers. I mean, just be driven by the questions and the answers will reveal themselves eventually in time. You know, I think, you know, I think it's important that we don't, we have the courage to begin uh, knowing that we don't have the answer and that we know and, not, not, and knowing that we're not quite sure where we're going to get to. Thank you. Um, 
for people that would like to find you online to, to see your work to get to know more about you um how can they find you well okay so i mean well the afram khan company website there's something about me and there, there's there's quite a few things i think on the internet that people can look um I, i i consciously don't have any social media like instagram twitter or anything like that because i prefer to, to be away from that stuff because it feels like too noisy and too threatening in in some kind of strange way um but there is plenty of stuff on the internet where there's some stuff that I've talks I've done before um and if you go to the Akram Khan website as I said earlier you know there's some biography and stuff um yeah but um you know reach out you know I'm on LinkedIn there's I have a profile there so I can be found there so uh yeah I I'm always really excited about meeting people and and getting to you know hear and see and understand and discover new ways of of seeing things so i can be found i can be found even though i'm not on social media thank you so much for being with us today really really great You're very welcome thank you for having me anna thank you so much for joining us in this episode the experimenters is hosted and produced by me anna corey with intro and outro music by gerardo perez justi If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor and rate and review us on iTunes. It is a tremendous help in getting our message out there. And you know, let us know what you like. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.